you know, somehow I was going to go to Iraq and I was going to, you know, change the war, like save these people or like have these like heroic moments. And that was going to be the difference that I was going to make. And, you know, all that's up for debate. (laughs) You know, I, I didn't, I didn't do, I didn't do any of that stuff. Right. I mean, that's not, that's not what happened. What happened is, is that I got plunged into the darkness and I clawed my way through it. And in the process, I know that I've connected with people. You are listening to the Homeland Heroes Salute, sharing stories to heal and honor our heroes. This podcast is brought to you by the Homeland Heroes Foundation and produced by DairyCam. This podcast sometimes deals with mature content that may not be suitable for a younger audience and could be triggering for some individuals. Discretion is advised. The views expressed by our guests and others are solely their own. No views expressed in this podcast represent any of the uniform services, the Homeland Heroes Foundation, DairyCam, or any other organization. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Homeland Heroes Salute. My name is Alyssa, and I'm joined again with Jessica um, to hear the first part and first and second part of Jessica's story. Go back and listen now to our previous episodes. All right. Welcome back, Jessica. Thank you for sharing so much of your story. I know um, a lot of what we've gone, what we've spoken about today has been um, things that you've written about. Um, Jessica Goodell is the author of Shade at Black, a memoir about her experiences uh, deployed to Iraq and in the Marine Corps. Um, so so you, you served in 2004. Was it into 2005 or just 2004? No, or just you were deployed in 2004. Okay. Yep. Um, uh, so we went to Iraq in the beginning of 2004 and didn't come home till the end of 2004. Awesome. So... What was, and you, and you, again, you talk about this in your memoir, you came home, um, you were in a relationship with a fellow Marine, correct? Mm-hmm. And very different experiences, but very similar at the same time. Um, a very yep. tumultuous relationship. Yeah. Um, and then you decided to go back to school. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, you said that so nicely. Um, it did not play out that nicely, though. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so at the time, um, the person that I was in a relationship with, um, he had been part of that initial invasion in March 2003. Um, and he had worked with the MPs, which is the military police, um, taking care of and processing POWs, so enemy POWs. Um, and that experience profoundly impacted him. And so with my experiences in mortuary affairs, I was just shaken to the core. Um, and two storms do not make a calmness. Um, it was, it was a disaster. It was a disaster. Um, so needless to say, that did not work out. Um, but when I got out of the Marine Corps, um, so I got out in 2005. I was just so lost. Um, 
I just didn't know what way was up, which way was down. Um, The beliefs that I had previous to the deployment just weren't there anymore. And so basically, I had lost my coherent system of beliefs and just kind of searching for what was right, what was wrong, what was just, what was fair, who am I, right? What do I believe in? Um, And to say that mortuary affairs took a toll on my life, I mean, eh, understatement. Um, so luckily, um, I came from a background that was very heavy on academia. And um, that was the push in my family. Like everyone goes to college. That was what was expected of me initially. So um, Mm -hmm. eventually I found my way back home and I didn't know what to do with myself. And so kind of the default was go to school. I can go to college. I got to go to school. I got to do something. And then you started um, going for psychology. Yeah. So I, um, well, what really happened was that I (laughs) couldn't get off my parents' couch. I couldn't get off my parents' couch. I was living at my dad's house and I couldn't get off his couch. And were my dad dealing, was like, Were you dealing with depression or oh PTSD? My gosh. Yes, right. So my life is just upside down. Um, I didn't know at the time what was going on. I just knew that nothing was right. Um, so at this point in time, I hadn't seen a counselor. I didn't have any diagnoses. I wasn't on any medication. Um, but I was drinking, I was on drugs, I was doing anything just to stay afloat. Um, I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't eating, I wasn't showering, like I, I wasn't functioning. And I was staying at my father's house, I'd been there about two weeks, and my dad was having none of it. He was like, Jessica, like, you need to get off the couch, like, you need to go do something, like, go get a job, go to school, you need to go do something, like, you, this is not happening. Um, and so that was good because that was like that push that I needed, like, okay, something's got to give, I'll go to college. Um, and luckily after the Marine Corps, like you have a GI bill. Um, also though, since I was in my hometown, um, and I had graduated at the top of my high school class, I was able to go to the local community college for free. So that's what I did. I just started going to community college because I didn't, I didn't know what to do. So I just started going to community college and, um, the community college, my major was social sciences um, because it's a small school. (laughs) Um, So that was as Mm -hmm. close to psychology as I could get. Um, And I started going full time. I mean, I was actually at one point in time, I was taking 21 credits. I was taking 23 credits a semester. Um, I had to get special permission from the dean to be taking all these credits. Um, And I just threw myself into school. Um, And it was there at the community college. where I I was taking these sociology classes and it was the first time that I had ever heard about the world in a different way. Um, and I was really learning about how our culture and our society fits into a larger culture and a larger society with larger purposes. Um, and it really just started opening up my perspective to bigger pictures um, that just before I hadn't thought about. Yeah, I was just too young. I was just too self-centered to think about. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And one day I was in my sociology class and the professor asked me if I would hang back after class. Um, so after class, everyone was dismissed, everyone left. And I, I went up to the professor and he goes, he says to me, something is different about you. He goes, you're not like the other students in this room. He goes, you come to class early. You're not on your phone. You pay attention. You take notes. You sit up straight. Um, I was getting a hundred. And if there was any extra credit, I was getting the extra credit. He's like, you're getting a hundred on all your assignments. You're getting a hundred on all, all the exams. What's different? Um, and I had no idea, um, what he was talking about. So I just said, you know, I'm, I'm a Marine. I, I, I don't know other than that, what's different. And he said, that's it. Um, and he goes, would you mind coming to my office and talking to me about like some of your experiences? Like, I'd like to know, right. Cause he's a sociology professor, wants to know about military. Um, so I said, sure. So I went to his office and mind you, I wasn't showering. Like I was in the same clothes. Like I, I like didn't, I didn't change my clothes ever. Um, so I had on this outfit that I always wore. And um, so I probably smelled, I had smell. Um, and I go into his office and he's asking me, you know, like, so what did you do in the Marine Corps? And I, I told him how I was a Mac and I told him how I did mortuary affairs. And I could see like the light bulb click in his head. like that's what's going on with you. Like he knew, right? I didn't know, but he knew. Um, And he goes, you know, have you ever talked to anybody about your experiences or anything? And I said, no. And he goes, "Um, well, you know, I I know that if you tell somebody about your experiences, you know, there's a good chance that um, you might feel better. You know, if we can give your story a beginning, a middle and an end, he goes, your brain actually processes it different. Um, and he just started like telling me the benefits of sharing with somebody that I trust. And, um, and he said, would you be willing to meet with me and tell me about your experiences? Um, and at that point, like I had nothing to lose. I mean, I was mm-hmm. suicidal. I, I wasn't leaving my house. I wasn't, I wasn't going anywhere. I didn't have any friends. I wasn't calling anybody. I wasn't texting. My, like I had nothing going on in my life except for school. Um, and that was like only keeping me alive, you know, by the skin of my teeth. So um, I started meeting with this professor and he had like interview questions and I would show up to his office. I mean, I would be so high. I would bring in like a six pack, like I'd bring in alcohol. Like I would, I came from, like, I was so fucked up. I was so messed up. Um, just so high, so drunk. And sometimes he would ask me questions and I'd talk for 10, 15 minutes and then I would just be sobbing and I couldn't talk anymore. You know, other times I'd come into his office and he'd be asking me all these questions and I could talk for an hour, hour and a half, right? Like it, it just varied on the topic, the questions, probably how high or how drunk I was, right? Like a variety of things. And, um, he eventually like just went on for like a couple months. And, um, one day I showed up and he had typed it all and printed it all. And he handed it to me and he said, here you go. He goes, this is your story. He goes, so whenever you're ready, like here it is. And I took it. And I went home and I put it in the drawer of my dresser 
to never be seen again. Like I didn't want anything to do with it. I didn't want to look at it. I didn't want to think about it. No, nothing. Right. And then I just stopped talking with my professor. Like it, it all just ended. And, um, and a couple months went by. Um, and at that point in time, like I was already done with a community college. I had already transferred onto a four year university. Um, that was still in the same neck of the woods, but I was no longer at that university at the community college. So, mm-hmm. um, one day I open up the drawer and I pull out the manuscript and I'm like, I got to do something with this. Like something has to give, like my life was so awful. Like it was awful. Um, still not eating, not sleeping, um, having nightmares, having flashbacks. I'm drunk. I'm hot. I'm not showering. I'm not doing laundry. I'm not, I don't have any fucking, sorry. I, I don't have any friends. Um, my life was just awful. And, um, I would come back to my apartment and I would drink and I'd get drunk and I'd be laying on the floor and I'd crawl to the toilet and I'd throw up and I'm just by myself. It was awful. Suicidal. Don't want to live. Don't want to go another day. And I thought something's got to give, like something has to give, like what, what, what's got to give. And so I pulled out the story from the dresser. I called up the professor and I said, can we meet? Like, I think I'm ready. And so I went into his office and we went line by line over the story and we edited it. You know, there were some things that I corrected, um, you know, like, um, you know, it wasn't like that. It was actually like this or like, I know I said this initially, but like, I'm thinking about longer and I think it's more like this, right? Like I'm changing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes through and he edits the whole thing. and so we meet a couple times like that, you know, going through it all. And then, um, that goes on for like, you know, a month or two. And then at the end of it, he, he edits it all. He prints it all out again. And he says, Jessica, he goes, what do you think if I turn this into like a publishing company? He goes, I think that there's a really good chance that a publishing company would want to publish this. Um, what do you think? And I said, I think this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like, nobody cares about my story. Nobody wants to hear it. Like, this is, no, that's not what we're doing here. Like, you're trying to help me. Like, I'm getting help. Right? Like, I thought that that was, like, my therapy. I'm like, this is, like, this, yeah. like, this is about me. This is not about anybody else. Nobody else cares. Nobody else wants to know. And he's like, then, Jessica, he goes, why don't I just send it out? And if somebody bites, they bite. And if not, no harm done. And I was like, you can do whatever you want to do. Like I was, how oh, I had such attitude. I was such a jerk. I was so, <laughs> I I was not a good person. I was not fun to be around. I was not nice. Um, and so he sent it out to some publishing companies and this publishing company who publishes um, military stories, Casemate Publishing, picked it up and they said, we want it and we want more. Um, wow. So it was never intended to be my story was never intended to be published, never intended to be shared. Um, it was really an attempt, like this last ditch attempt to like get me out of my funk. Um, and people always ask me like, so was writing the book like therapeutic? And I will tell you, no, it was not. It was horrific. It was awful. Like it sent me into nightmares and flashbacks. I was not in a good place for it. Like it was not, it was not good. However, what came from it was so worth it. Um, 
So once the book got published, that's when I started talking to people. That was the first time. Oh my gosh. So um, I just got really excited because um, that, so the book gets published, right? Nobody has ever heard what I did in Iraq. Nobody, like not my mom, not my dad, nobody in my family, no friends, no nothing, right? So the book gets published and I get a, I get a couple copies for myself and I give one to my mom and I give one to my dad. And that's the first time they read the book. And that's the first time they've ever heard like what I did in Iraq, like what happened to mortuary affairs. Um, they had no, like they had no idea prior to that. So, I mean, this book just like opened up connections and pathways that never would have existed otherwise, which is crazy because it was never intended to be a book. And I, I think that something that, I mean, I, 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 the amount of emotions I felt reading it. Um, so I am about your age when the book was <clears throat> published. Um, very much a lot of what you're saying, very different beginnings, but a lot of the emotions, I think, as as women, as young adults that have dealt with trauma at some point in their life, there's an existential crisis almost. Yes. It's that like, um, it, it, cause it's not, a, it's not the, the midlife, um, oh, what, what am I looking for? The, um, the, it's the quarter life crisis. And when you have yeah. some kind of tr- trauma that's in your life, you're trying to figure out who you are, what's your purpose. Um, when you talk about relationships, I've had relationships never to that extent, but I've had relationships I can, I can understand on that level. Um, Yeah. It just, all of this emotion. And I was going to ask what the process was in regards to writing that. And if it was therapeutic, and it very much comes across as a conversation. So it makes sense that that's kind of how it was written um, because the yeah. level of detail and emotion that's in there is so, um, I just recently met someone where we have really long conversations about really deep things in our brains and mm-hmm. that's how it feels reading the book. And it comes across that way and it emphasizes your experiences um, to a point that anyone who has dealt with trauma can read the book and understand yeah. and yeah. get that that sense. Yeah. We all have our own struggles. <clears throat> that that was just mine and every like we all we all go through that period where we question ourselves or we question our purpose or our meaning, or our value. Like we question who we are. Um, yeah. So I'm glad you said that. There's definitely like this commonality that, it, that got tapped into. Mm-hmm. Which just makes the story that much more powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So now that it's been, about 10 years, I think, since it was published. Um, yeah, crazy. <laughs> a lot has happened in your life. And a, a lot. lot. Good. Yes. 
Um, And I think this is a really important aspect of your story to showcase on the podcast because like you just said, you were not, you, you came out of the Marines not in a good place, doing a lot of things you shouldn't have been doing. Suicidal, depressed, a monster to be around. Um, Yeah. Oh, yes. What has the last 10 years looked like? Okay. (laughs) It's a bit of a ride. So, um, okay. So, um, I ended up getting my bachelor's degree in psychology and that was like no surprise because I was going to get my bachelor's in psychology before the Marine Corps anyway. So, you know, I was just kind of defaulting to what my original plan was initially. Okay. Along the way, what ended up happening is that after writing the book and I started getting these invites to participate in conferences and different speaking engagements. And so that allowed me the opportunity, this unique opportunity to tell my story over and over and over again. And to people that were so caring and so empathetic and so interested and so supportive, like what a privilege to be able to do that. Um, And me telling my story over and over again allowed me to start processing things and start to realize things and start to come to some conclusions about some things, right? So one of the things that I realized along the way was that I am, I have a lot of issues. Like there's, I was really impacted. And okay, while that might be obvious to the outsider, to the person going through it, like, I didn't realize, okay, like in my defense, like, I didn't know what was wrong. I knew stuff was wrong, but I didn't, I couldn't pinpoint it. Like I, I, I just, I didn't know. Because to me, I was broken over a period of time. And so I didn't know the ways in which it felt like I was broken. I didn't realize the ways in which I was impacted um, until I was talking in front of people. And these people were like giving me hugs and like saying like they, they cared about me and that they were praying for me. And I'm like, oh, why is all these people like being so nice? <laughs> and I realized it was because like they saw like how hurt I was. Um so that got me thinking like, you know, I think I can do something about this. So I started going to counseling and um, it was not a good experience at first. It was, at first, it was really awful. Um, like I kind of just went through like a whole bunch of counselors in the beginning because, okay, PhD Jessica knows that 21 or 22 year old Jessica was not ready, but 22 year old Jessica was very angry at these counselors and thought these counselors didn't understand. Um, you know, at one point in time, I, I had sat down with a counselor, my initial meeting with her. Um, she asked me to recount my trauma just to kind of give her an idea of where we're starting from. And I started like getting into it and she kept interrupting me to have me explain certain terminology, certain terms. Um, you know, she was just like asking questions, which were all good questions, says me 10 years later. But me at the time got very angry with her and was like, you need to let me talk. You need to let me just say what I need to say. Um, and I literally got up and left. 
Um, so it took me like a long time of trying like years, like three or four years of like trying this counselor. Nope. I don't like them. Right. Like I, I just wasn't ready. Like I wanted to do it, but I wasn't ready. Um, so eventually, um, I was in the parking lot of a grocery store and it was a big deal for me because I wasn't leaving my house. Right. Like my cupboards are empty and I'm actually in my car at at a grocery store and I'm sitting in the parking lot, like debating whether or not I'm going to go in. And my phone rings. And also at that point in time, I was not answering my phone. Um, But I looked at it and I was like, you know what? I can do this. I'm going to answer my phone. I'm going to do this. Meanwhile, it's like ringing, right? And I'm like, I can do this. I'm answering it. And um, still ringing, still ringing. And I answer it. And I'm like, hello? And it was a vet center. Um, I happened to be the Buffalo vet vet center um, from Buffalo, New York. And it was a counselor. And she said, Hey, um, you know, you kind of came across my radar and I just wanted to reach out and see if you would be interested in coming in for an appointment. Now, I have no idea how I came across the radar, or what that was like. I'm sure I was like flagged by the VA, I'm sure. But um, anyway, um, I said, okay, I'm going to do this. I can come in. I can do this. Right. Like I'm just like reinforcing, like I can do this. I can do this. So um, I made an appointment and I went in. And that started me being in counseling for about seven years. Um, mm-hmm. And when I first started counseling, um, I was going twice a week. Um, and for those who are savvy with counseling, that means that I was really in the situation. I was a really intense patient to be going in twice a week, every week. Um, I... Um, that was, so I was doing that individual counseling. I was going in for group counseling. Um, I was in a women's group. I was in a PTSD group. I mean, I just started being a patient in counseling. Um, and along that way, um, when I was going to those counselors who I just thought like didn't get me, I kind of like made this decision like, you know, I'm going to figure this out for my own. So during that time, I actually enrolled and got accepted into a PhD program for counseling psychology. So in addition to me being a patient, I am like intensely studying the psyche. I'm, you know, I'm going to school. I'm going to all these classes. I'm going to all these practicum. Like I'm doing all this stuff. Um, so I'm intensely involved as being a student of psychology, as being a patient of psychology. And I was just like so committed, like something has to give, something has to change. I'm going to figure this out. Like I, I can do this. Um, so fast forward a couple of years and I ended up graduating with my PhD in counseling and school psychology. It's like a dual program. Um, my focus I know this sounds really strange, but my focus is PTSD and veterans. <laughs> um, that's my specialty area. They say research what you know. So I was like, terrific. I um, I happen to have some things going on. Um, so needless to say, when I was a patient and I was seeking counseling, um, I was initially diagnosed with um, major depression disorder. I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, substance abuse, alcohol abuse, um, an eating disorder, PTSD, severe. Um, I mean, it was intense. Um, 
and it was okay it's kind of funny now but like at the time when my counselor was like yeah um she told me my diagnoses um that's mm-hmm. kind of whatever people do it different ways or whatever but she wanted to communicate with me like hey this is what's going on because remember like I had no idea what was going on in my life and like here it is like I meet the diagnostic criteria for a whole bunch of things and so she was like telling me what's going on she's like so you do meet criteria for PTSD and it's severe and I was like no I don't like she's like Jessica, you have nightmares, you have flashbacks, like you're hypervigilant, you're paranoid. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, you meet criteria. And I'm like, no, I don't. Like, I I couldn't accept it. I was like, people with PTSD are so much worse off than I am. And she was like, Jessica, like, no, it's you. Um, I mean, it's like, I was not an easy patient, like a super denial. Um, okay, so... I go through the PhD program. I go through all these years of counseling. I'm focusing on PTSD and veterans. So what ends up happening from this, I end up working for the VA. I do all these different rotations because I cannot get enough of working with veterans. To me... That's incredible. Right, right. I mean, these are people... Okay, this can be said about many different populations, so I'm not trying to say that this is only about veterans. But for me, obviously, my personal connection with veterans, for me, the meaning and the purpose was working with veterans because these are people who have literally sacrificed their life, whether they've died or not. They've sacrificed their life, and they deserve, like, in my opinion, they deserve the highest quality of care that we can give. So I was, like, super student. Right. Because like every chapter that I'm reading, like I need to absorb as much information as I can because I'm going to apply it. Right. I'm going to use this like every research project. Like I have to do this to the to the T because this is going to impact these veterans. Like so I just found so much meaning and purpose in my Ph.D. program, which is really awesome. Um, And I end up right. So I end up working for the VA. I do a rotation with um, veterans with serious mental illness. So that's veterans with schizophrenia, bipolar, PTSD, substance abuse. It's um, very intense diagnoses. Um, I did a rotation in geropsychology. So I was working with veterans that were 65 plus. Um, and a lot of them working with um, like diagnoses of dementia and PTSD and kind of the combination of the two of those. Um, I did a rotation in substance use. Um, I did a rotation at a PTSD residential unit. Like I could not get enough. Um, and it was so awesome. And one time, like, okay, another like little proud moment that I had, um, I was leading group therapy for this group of veterans and I'm talking to them about PTSD. And one of the veterans said, like, how do you know so much (laughs) about PTSD? And I was like, you know, like I, I, I read a lot, you know, I'm doing a lot of research, like I'm in this program, you know, like it, it's, it's my job to know this. And he was like, no, no, you know, way more than what's in the books. Um, so that, that to me, it made me know that I was on the right track because I had done my own healing. Like I'm not there yet, but I've done a lot of healing. Um, you know, I've done my research, I've done my education, and then to like incorporate it into something that I can then offer as hope for someone else. That's what I, 
want, right? And that's what I was doing. Um, so I felt like I was really successful. Um, I mean, it was awesome being a psychologist for the VA. Oh my God. It's so rewarding. Um, and then I went on vacation, um, because my contract, so I was working on annual contracts with the VA. I was working at two VAs simultaneously and my contract for both of them ended. It had started and ended at the same date. Um, oh, wow. and so I was like, you know, I need to go on vacation. Like I've been really intense on this counseling. I've been really intense as a student. Like I, I need a, a little time here before I start up again. So I took a vacation and I met, <laughs> um, my current partner. And once we met, we realized that we had the same values. We have similar goals. We're very similar, um, people like we fit really well together. Mm -hmm. Um, so I moved to Florida to be with him. Oh my God. And yeah, like totally uprooted. Um, cause I was living in New York, uprooted, moved down to Florida and we almost immediately started working on our family. Um, so right now we currently have a 10 month old daughter. Her name is Isabella. She's awesome. She's so amazing. And we are currently pregnant with our second child. Oh my gosh, congratulations. So that, yes, <laughs> thank you. So that is the last 10 years. Um, there's been a lot of difficulty in that and just so much good. So much good has come from the onward and upward. Um, okay, Robert Frost has this quote and it really helped me as cliche as this might be, but he said, the only way out is through. And that's really what got me through it because I needed out. Wow. I needed to get out and there was no denial. There's no substance use that can get you out of it. There's no, you know, there's no easy way out of it. The only way out of this murk is through. Um, so that's why I did. So worth that's it. incredible. I'm a big believer in everything happens for a reason. Um, you know, sometimes we have to go through really trying, difficult, ugly times to see the brighter side. Um, yeah. And you quoting Robert Frost. Um, Robert Frost is from Derry, New Hampshire. His house that he had in when he was alive is actually right down the street from my dad's house. Um, so it's, it's one of those things that probably reading too much into it, but it's very much this conversation is happening right now is very significant to me. Oh, good. (laughs) So just one of those, one of those things that, everything really just gets put into perspective and yeah. 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 So it's something you mentioned in the last episode was you wanted to go over um, in order to feel like you've made a difference. 
having gone through what you've gone through since 2001, do you feel like you've made the difference that you were set out to make? I do. And not in the way that I thought it was going to happen. Right? Like I thought that, you know, somehow I was going to go to Iraq and I was going to, you know, change the war, like save these people or like have these like heroic moments. And that was going to be the difference that I was going to make. And, you know, all that's up for debate. (laughs) You know, I, I didn't, I didn't do, I didn't do any of that stuff. Right. I mean, that's not, that's not what happened. What happened is, is that I got plunged into the darkness and I clawed my way through it. And in the process, I know that I've connected with people. I know that I've given people hope that didn't have hope before. Like, I know that I've made a difference in other people's lives. Um, you know, maybe not significant, maybe not a big one, but I know that I pushed. Um, and in that way, that's how I think I've made that difference. I think in that way, that's how I became who I wanted to become. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing your story with us today. It has been incredible to listen to you, to read your memoir. Um, Thank you for your service and thank you for continuing to put good out into the world. Thank you, Alyssa. That means a lot. Your book means a lot to me. (laughs) It was, yeah. So I got two, one more question for you. Um, Okay. It's the way that we've started to end all of our podcasts. Um, Okay. And it seems pretty fitting, usually. Um, If you had to do it all over again, would you? Yeah, I would. I would. Because the light is so much brighter than the dark. That's a beautiful way of saying it. Well, again, thank you so much for sharing your story, for coming on today. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being so empathetic and caring. I really appreciate that. Anytime. <laughs> if you were still in Boston, I'd say, let's go get a coffee or something. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today, Jessica. And thank you for joining us for the last part of Jessica's story. This podcast is brought to you by the Homeland Heroes Foundation, an organization dedicated to the reacclimation support of active duty service members, veterans, and their families in their time of need. To learn more, visit homelandheroesfoundation.org. Thank you to our production team at DairyCam, creating connection through story for a better world. Learn more by visiting dairycam.org. Thank you for listening and make sure you subscribe to the Homeland Harris Salute wherever you listen to podcasts.